The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we ask, O Lord, that as we come to you as your children, that you would feed us as only you can do through Christ, the manna from heaven. We pray, O Lord, that you would transform our minds, uh, that you would chip away that which does not belong, the sin in our lives, that you would further conform us to the image of Christ through the power of your word by the efficacious work of your spirit. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. May be seated. I'd just like to read uh, just a few verses from the beginning of Romans uh, chapter 1, Romans chapter 1, and then proceed into this morning's uh, 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 chapel address. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, says this And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. I think we can easily say that the internet has brought us access uh, now to billions upon billions of pieces of data. As of 2010, uh, Google had begun scanning uh, all of the books in the world, which was supposedly some 125 million books and As of 2010, they had scanned 25 million of them. I think this has given us access to books that we have really never had before ever in the history of the world. But in addition to being able to access so many books online because Google has made them available, we have access to the internet to all kinds of services. You can get hotels through Airbnb. You can get taxis through Uber. You can get tools through Tech Shop. You can get clothes through Stitch Fix. You can get toys through NerdBlock, my particular favorite. But you can also, beyond that, you can go shopping on Amazon, you can stream movies, you can download music, you can even buy a house or even a car online. Technology expert Kevin Kelly in his book, The Inevitable, describes this phenomenon as accessing, that we have access to all sorts of products, all sorts of services. I think in that regard, one of the things that I have found Uh, that I really enjoy is getting access to craftsmen that can make things that you might not ordinarily be able to find in your local community. I was really thrilled, although I have to say that I think my wife rolled her eyes, uh, that uh, when I was able to buy this neat uh, writer's box, and it was made out of black walnut, you open it up and it has place for paper and pens and whatnot, and I was so thrilled because I told my wife, look, I got it from Turkey. That, you know, that, that elicited the eye roll. 
So access to all sorts of things, all sorts of benefits, all sorts of services. But at the same time, I think we can also say it's given us unfettered access to evil. Unfettered access to evil. I think the first easiest, most easily identified evil that we can say is uh, pornography. Pornography. It used to be that if you wanted to access pornography, you had to be willing to go to the local bookstore or to the local convenience store, work up enough courage in order to buy that sinful type of uh, magazine. Or if you wanted to access it, uh, video or what have you, you had to go to the seedy side of town in order to go and buy your pornographic movies. But I don't think what people realize now is that that kind of evil no longer requires you to go anywhere, but rather you can access it from the relative peace, comfort, and anonymity of your own home. Now, what I don't know if we realize is that the pornography industry is massive. It generates some $60 billion per year. That's the same financial footprint as the country music industry. So as prevalent as you see country music, you can say that pornography has a similar type of footprint. But beyond that, I think it's important for us to recognize that pornography has been around for years, thousands of years, but the internet has given us accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. Accessibility, affordability, and anonymity. I think in addition to this, people don't, uh, don't realize how impactful uh, the pornographic industry has been simply on the development of technology. Now, maybe this one is a little bit beyond some of you because of your age, but if you remember the VHS uh, video cassettes and Betamax video cassettes, these were the two competing uh, different formats for vi- videotapes. Sony toiled over the decision as to whether or not to allow and adapt the technology to be able to uh, uh, put pornographic movies on their, on, on their video cassettes, on these Betamax cassettes, because they could only hold 60 minutes worth of film uh, or 60 minutes worth of entertainment, whereas the VHS could hold three times as much as that. Well, which format run out? One out, VHS did because they were willing to uh, take in the pornographic material, whereas Sony was not. So Betamax lost, even though they made the morally right decision. A similar type of thing unfolded with HD DVD versus Blu-ray. The reason that Blu-ray ran out was because uh, that was the format that the pornographic movie industry adopted as its standard format. So the reason that Blu-ray is so prevalent is because of pornography. Uh, The same can be said for increased bandwidth. The reason that uh, cable companies began offering uh, greater bandwidth is because people wanted to stream pornographic movies, and so they called up their cable company and said, can I get more bandwidth? It was that that started it and not Netflix. I think technology has given us significant access to evil in this regard, the evil of pornography, And sadly, we can say that the church has been dramatically affected by this technological trend. According to some research, nine out of 10 boys and six out of 10 girls have seen pornography by the time that they're age 18. During a Promise Keepers rally, these were kind of, you know, some revivals that were going on or so-called revivals in the uh, the 90s, uh, they uh, 
polled the thousands of attendees, they would fill up entire stadiums, like the L.A. Coliseum, 50, 60,000 men attending uh, these uh, revivals. And they said that half of those who attended those meetings, so you could say 20, 30,000 men, acknowledged the fact that they were presently involved in pornography addiction. 50% of Christian men and 20% of Christian women, according to some studies, are addicted uh, to pornography. And this one study noted that, sadly, the most popular day for viewing it, yeah, you guessed it, Sunday. Sunday. Christianity Today conducted a survey that revealed that 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors were currently struggling with pornographic addictions. Anecdotally, I have had to deal with this own problem in my own church when I was a pastor. I had to counsel a young woman who came to me and said that she was at work, walked into a meeting room, and there was somebody viewing pornography on his work laptop. And so she said, what should I do about this situation? And I said, well, you ought to go to HR. Well, as it unfolded and as sad as it was, the gentleman was fired because he was violating company policy. But the even sadder truth was that he was a ruling elder in a Nape Park church and the father of four. Pornography is prevalent, and the Internet has given us unfettered access to this evil. But I think beyond this, we can say that, well, pornography is an easy thing to target because we can easily identify it as evil and it's wrong. But how often do we take evil in, do we soak it in, without recognizing it as such? And dare I say, how often do we dabble in the demonic, that's right, the demonic, without recognizing it as such? I think we know of Christ's interactions with demons in the Gospels, and so thus we must acknowledge their existence. I think, but in the West, most people probably don't think much of them, let alone their existence or influence. But demons are real even if we don't encounter them? Or do we? Or do we? I don't think we have to find a devil in a red suit with a pitchfork on a way to a demonic meeting uh, in order to say, hey, look, there's demonic activity. I mean, certainly I think if you saw that, well then, yeah, run the other way. But I think that the demonic is present in common forms of entertainment that we find on the internet. St. Augustine once charged the politicians of Rome with corrupting the people of the empire because they promoted what he called and what was called the spectacle entertainments. The spectacle entertainments. The gladiator contests where gladiators would be locked in mortal combat and would seek to kill one another hunting animals in, in the gladiatorial arena, mass executions of criminals, or in this case, in some cases, even Christians. What this, this, this realm of the spectacle entertainments promoted was the idea that life was cheap and death and violence was simply a form of entertainment. And Augustine writes this in his City of God, for such demons are pleased with the frenzy of the game with the cruelty of the amphitheater, with the violent contests of those who undertake the strife of controversy. By acting this way, pagans offer incense to the demons with their hearts. I think Augustine's observation all of a sudden puts the demonic in an entirely different light. 
It's not necessarily the Satan worshiper, but rather it's the average citizen of Rome going to the amphitheater uh, to watch these violent displays as a form of entertainment. Under this veil, we could say that the demonic appeared under the ordinary, average, mundane things. The, The Roman Colosseum was ordinary. But Augustine saw through the facade. So what in our own culture is mundane but nevertheless pulsates with the demonic. Bloodlust is still around. And I think our culture, no less than Augustine's, loves to lather its hands in violence, to soak in violence and death as a form of entertainment. In our day, we can say, sure, it's slick, it's shiny, which has given it a degree of respectability. But through the internet or through technology, how often, for example, might we allow our children to use violent video games as a form of entertainment that celebrate death, mayhem, and destruction? How many of us have watched YouTube videos that celebrate the same? I hesitate to mention the name for fear that people will Google it. Uh, But in my own childhood growing up, a 1978 movie, when it finally hit uh, video release through VHS, was Faces of Death. This is a so-called documentary that uh, captured people in the throes of death, car accidents, maimings, and what have you, uh, animals dying, and it was just grotesque. Well, now you can go to YouTube and find that video, and it's got over 1.2 million views. There are scores of such videos online, and all of it is mundane and ordinary. Yet I suspect it pulsates with the demonic, because what happens is that we find it as a form of entertainment. I was talking with my colleague uh, Julius Kim about this, and he made this comment, and I said, oh, I'm going to use this in my chapel address. I'll even say, I'll even give you credit for it. So this comes from Julius Kim. But he said, In a sin-fallen world, people have taken two things that God has created as good, sexuality and life, and twisted and turned them upside down so that they have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. I know that's shocking that that came from Dr. Kim, but it's really insightful, I think. We've taken these two things, these two blessings that God has given us, sexuality and life, and we've turned them upside down so that sexuality is now a perversion and now death is a form of entertainment? How do we respond to this, this unfettered access to evil that we have through the technology of the Internet and other forms of entertainment? Well, I think it calls us to discernment, to detachment, as well as ultimately to contentment. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When we access the internet, when we access our forms of entertainment, we should be discerning 
and ask ourselves, do these movies, music, images, whatever we read, does it bring out the best in us? Or does it bring out the worst in us? Does it mimic the frenzy of the Colosseum, the topsy-turvy world of the demonic? Or does it cause us to think on those virtues that God has given us by virtue of our creation in his image, and even more importantly, by the renewal of that image through the redemption that we have through Christ? Now, in this regard, I think sifting through our technological use, sifting through our internet use requires a hearty knowledge of God's law, as well as a heavy dose of wisdom. You know, it's not just simply a checklist. I'm not going to watch this or this kind of thing, but rather it calls for discernment and it calls ultimately for wisdom. Secondly, I think it calls for detachment. Detachment. We can easily say that pornography is sinful. Christ himself told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. My pastor, when I was growing up as a kid, uh, said that he was confronting one of his friends because he was using pornography, and he said, you know, I, I'm sorry, I, I, don't, I don't lust after these women when I look at them. And he says, if you don't, something's wrong. <laughs> You're broken. But we shouldn't be looking at such things. Now, the negative effects of pornography on the mind has been well documented. There are mental, physical, and spiritual uh, implications of the use of pornography. It is out and out destructive in addition to being sinful. And so flat out, we have to detach ourselves from it. You know, in that same context, right after he talks about the, the, the uh, lust of the heart, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Now, Christ is not saying literally rip out your eyes, but he's using the hyperbole to say, take extreme measures if it's necessary. Do whatever it takes to, to detach yourself from the sin. And in this case, if it's your smartphone that is the instrument of your uh, you know, evil, that if that's the means by which you access the pornography, get rid of the smartphone. Use a dumb phone. Better to use a dumb phone and not engage in pornography than to have access through the smartphone. You know, is it, is it that you struggle because of your internet connection? Disconnect it. Disconnect it. Go to Starbucks if you have to use the internet or whatever the case may be. Sometimes I also think that computer passwords are actually just a convenient excuse uh, for hiding our sin. If you struggle with this, let your friends inspect your computer. Say you, you have permission to do a uh, instantaneous, immediate inspection of my computer anytime you want. I'll open up the password. You can do a search for images or whatever content you want. Detachment. Get rid of it. But you have to recognize this, is that at the end of the day, it's not the technology that is the problem. It's not the internet connection, it's not the smartphone, it, it's not the computer, it's what's in your heart. That's the problem. I once took a ride with a young man and I, he was uh, attending my church and I got into the car and we were supposed to go get some coffee and he said, 
I looked at his dashboard, and I was like, oh, wow, I'm so sorry to see that uh, your dashboard was trashed. Somebody looks like they tried to steal the radio and just absolutely destroyed it. And he goes, oh, no, I did that. I was like, what? You did that? You, you, what did you do? He says, oh, I took an ax to my, to my dashboard. I was like, why, why would you take an ax to your dashboard? He says, because I was, I was listening to secular music, and it was causing me to lust, so I decided to hack it out. I said, all right, well, while I commend your dedication, uh, you could have just pulled the fuse. But at the same time, the problem is still in your heart. That's the source of your lust, not the radio. So we have to address this, which leads us to the third and final observation, which is that of contentment. I think because we've got unfettered access to all sorts of evil, we certainly have to flee from sin. But we have to recognize that fleeing from sin is only part of the equation. We have to flee from sin and then flee to Christ. The psalmist writes in Psalm 107, verse 9, for he satisfies the longing of the soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. It's like when I wash dishes, which I do from time to time in the house. I try to help out, although the wife sometimes rejects my work, so I have to do it two or three times. She'll say, is, is this really clean? I, I, I don't like, you know, you fill up a cup with, uh, with water because you've washed it out, and you realize that there's suds in it, soap suds. So you sit there, and it took me a while, and I would just sit there and pour it out, pour it out, pour it out, and there would still be suds in it, and it drove me nuts. I think that's often the way that we approach uh, our desire and sense of contentment with evil. We try to fill it up with scripture and then we pour it out. We fill it up with Christ and then we pour it out. We fill it up with Christ and we pour it out. And there's still residue. There's still soap in there. But I discovered that if you just set the cup in the bottom of the sink and you let it fill up with water until the water fills it up and pushes out all of the suds, then all you have to do is you do that once and the cup is clean. It's because the water completely displaces the soap and pushes it out. Only when Christ completely fills your heart and satisfies you will you completely, and by his grace, completely displace those evil temptations and desires. If you just go in for a fill-up and then leave, you, you pour it out, then the residue is still going to be there. The sin is going to still be there. The, the discontentment is still going to be there. I think only when God displaces our sinful desires with that godly passion for Christ will we find peace in the face of temptation. You'll be able to see that evil. You'll have the unfettered access to it. But you'll walk past it and not even give it the time of day because it will not captivate your heart in the least because your soul will be enraptured with Christ. Seeking contentment in Christ. Technology has given, given us great access. It's given us access to great evil and good. But we must use scripturally informed discernment as we use technology. Must be willing to detach ourselves from evil things and even the evil and the seemingly mundane. And we must pray by God's grace that we would find contentment in Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for the gifts of this creation, and even the gifts of our hands. 
what our forefathers in the faith call the common operations of the Spirit. But at the same time, Father, we pray and ask that you would help us to be discerning users of this technology, that despite our unfettered access to evil, that you would enable us by your grace to find complete and total satisfaction in Christ so that we would be able to walk past it and that it would not hold our attention for even a moment. Glorify yourself even in our desires, even in those things that our fellow humans cannot see, but that you can see. May our desires always be pleasing to you and bring you glory and praise. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2018, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.